Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the, the wonderful blessing of being together as a body to come and to, to sing praises to you, Lord, and to lift our hearts that are heavy to you. And Lord, that you are the one that touches our hearts and brings joy within our lives and that we can count on you, Lord. You'll never fail us. You're always with us. And we can count on you, Lord, even when we don't understand what's going on in our lives. Lord, we stand with the confidence that we belong to you and that you're doing a good work in us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, trusting that the soil of our hearts are ready to receive the very seed of your word. And, Lord, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you and not of me, for we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to 1 John, the Epistle John, not the Gospel John, but the Epistle John, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24 is today's text. Chapter 3, we're going to finish all of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. We're now in part 9 of our series, Authentic. Say that. Now let's say with more enthusiasm, Authentic. Amen. And before we even dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3. And I gave you six points. You might remember these points. The first one was the practice. Say that. The practice, that's in verse 4. And there John is speaking about the practice of sin. John labels the practice of sinning as lawlessness, uh, speaking of a habitual lifestyle of living in sin, practicing sin on an ongoing basis. The second point was the purification. Say that. Purification, verses 5 through 6. And this is he's speaking of the purification from sin. That we know that Jesus' mission and Jesus' purpose was to take away our sins, and He and He alone was able to pay for our sins. The, the sinless one died for our sins. Good place to say amen. And He was the only suitable and perfect sacrifice. It's His work, say His work, it's His work in our lives. And John makes it very clear that an authentic believer, an authentic Christian, cannot habitually practice sin. Okay, or lawlessness, because it's in, incompatible with the law of God and incompatible with the work of Christ. The third point was the practice. Say that. Back to the practice, verse 7. But this is, this is not the practice of sin, okay? Okay, not, not the practice of sin, but the practice of righteousness. Say righteousness. And this is the practice of the believer. And those who have been made righteous in Jesus will practice righteousness just as Jesus is what? Righteous. Amen. The fourth point was the pattern. Say that. The pattern. That's in verse 8a. Uh, speaking of those who follow the pattern of the evil one, the devil. And the one who continually sins and practices sins, uh, habitually lives a lifestyle of sin, John says, is following after the pattern of the devil. The fifth point was the purpose. Say that. And that's in verse 8b. And Jesus came to earth with a purpose. Now, now, back in verse 5, John gave us one reason why Jesus came. That was, right? That was what? To what? To take away our sins, right? And well, John gives another reason why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The sixth point was the position. Say that. That's verses 9 
through 10, and it speaks of the position of the believer. If you're saved, say amen. The believer cannot go on sinning, practicing sin, because the believer has been born of God, right? The believer has a new nature. God's seed now remains in him or her. And since their spiritual experience originates with God, they will practice a lifestyle of righteousness and love those who belong to the family of God. And what? Love those who belong to the family of God. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Marked by Love. Everyone say that. In today's text, John once again deals with the great theme of love. Say love. And you see, John was blessed to walk with Jesus. He was blessed to study Jesus' life and ministry firsthand. And it was there that he saw the love Jesus expressed to others. And you see, Jesus didn't just speak of love. Jesus exemplified love. He was marked by love because he, Jesus, put his love into action. Say, into action. Now, as we follow Jesus' example of love and seek to adhere the words of John in the text, we too, as believers, must be marked by love. We must put our love into action. And if you agree with that, say amen. If you're ready, say amen. Say yes, say yes. Two points, but underneath point number one, I'll give you two sub-points. Point number one is this, compassion. Write that down and say compassion. Compassion, write that down. And you see what confirms our position in Christ, that we're truly saved, is our compassion, our love, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now remember, friends, back in chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, John already spoke about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. You might remember that. Now, the reason why John brings up love again is because the Gnostics, the, the false teachers, had this pious and holier-than-thou attitude, and they believed, these Gnostics, false teachers, believed that they had the secret mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, and anyone who was not a Gnostic was looked down upon and not loved. And these Gnostics, in some ways, were a lot like the Pharisees, and sadly, this attitude was influencing the church, and so this is why John comes back to love. This is why John addresses love again. The first sub-point, write it down, is this, the exhortation to love. Say that. Write it down, the exhortation to love. And then we look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. This is the message, say message, you heard from the what? Beginning, beginning, we should what? Love one another. Now in context, everyone say context. Because context is important, right? In context, John is speaking about the love between brothers and sisters in Christ. Got it? Those who belong to the family of God. Now you got to remember that, okay? Now question, are we to love unbelievers? Of course. That's a given, amen? Of course. There's no question there. But in context, say context, it's speaking about loving our brothers and sisters in who? In, in Christ. Now that message from the beginning is found in John, the Gospel of John. You guys know this, right? Chapter 13, verses 34 
through 35. We covered this weeks ago. And Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. And this is it here. This is what makes it new. As I have loved you, Jesus says. So you must love one another. By this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So John wants us to understand love in a whole new way because of Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus opens up a whole new understanding of love. This command to love is new in depth and new and a, and new in example because it's in Jesus. You guys got that? It's in Jesus. Jesus has fleshed out, if you will, fleshed out what this love looks like. And he, Jesus, he's a perfect example of love by his life and by his death. And so it is in this way that it's a new command, new in depth and new in demonstration. Say demonstration. Jesus demonstrated love, get this now, with perfect humility, servanthood, self-denial, and sacrifice. Now, obviously, we can't love to the extent that Jesus loved, right? I mean, he's perfect, right? He's perfect. He demonstrated perfect love. We cannot love others perfectly. If you got it, say got it. Yet if we're truly saved, we belong to Jesus, to the kingdom of God. There will be the reality, say reality, reality of the same kind of humility and servanthood, self-denial, and the life of sacrifice in us. Get it? And it will be growing as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. You see, there's, there's an inseparable connection if we're saved. Listen now, if we're saved, this love that's in Jesus will be in us. Got it? So, so the evidence, say, say evidence, uh, of the new birth, the badge of true discipleship, the flag that flies over our lives that others would see that we truly belong to God is that we love one another. You guys with me? That we're not fighting with one another, that, that we're not attacking one another, that we're not pulling each other down, but that we, listen, we're sacrificially giving of ourselves to each other. Get this, Christians. Loving others is thy byproduct, listen now, of being in love with Jesus. I'm going to say it again, okay? Loving others is the byproduct of being in love with Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you'll love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, now go back to what John says. John says this. This is the message. Say message. You heard from the beginning. John's saying, you, you heard it, so you know it. Now do it. Got it? Live it out in your life. Be marked by this humble, servant, self-denial, sacrificial love. In other words, put your love into action. Now remember, you guys should know this, right? The word love in the text is from the Greek word agape or agapeo. Right? It speaks of God's love, unconditional, sacrificial love. It's a love that rises to the highest level. Don't you love that? In that you love others, it rises to the highest level in that you love others, listen now, in spite of them. Love them even when they rub you the wrong way. And, and sometimes they do, amen? 
Love them even when you have a hard time with their personality, right, or their attitude. I, I would say this love is a comprehensive love. Say, say comprehensive love. In that, invo- in that it involves the mind. Say the mind. This love comes from a new mind now that we're saved. You guys got it? In which we now see each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, in a new way. We see each other through the lens of the life of Jesus. We, we see each other through the lens of the Word of God. We, we now see our brothers and sisters in Christ as fellow heirs. Got it? We see them as those who have been washed in the very same blood of Jesus Christ as we have. There's a kindred spirit. Say that. We have a new mindset towards each other. It's a comprehensive love and that involves the mind. Say the mind. But it's also a comprehensive love that involves the affections. Say affections. It's with new affections now. Now that we're saved, right? It's new affections. Okay, this love affects our feelings. We now have tender affections toward one another. Got it? It's a love that is expressed in our affections. It's a comprehensive love in that it involves the mind, say the mind. It involves the affections, say the affections. Also, it involves the will. Say the will. This love is an act of the will. It's, a, it's an act of obedience. We make the choice. Listen now. In other words, we make the choice to give ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We extend, say extend, ourselves. In other words, we step outside of our agenda to affirm, encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. You guys got it? So it's a comprehensive love. It involves, and it should involve, if you're saved, the mind. Okay, you have a new mind now. You think of others in a new way. Affections, new affections, and the will. I choose to love you. Right? I'm going to step outside of my agenda, out of myself, and focus on you. The distinguishing mark, the reality, the confirmation that we are in Christ is our love. It's our love. The Christian life, listen now, the Christian life means absolutely nothing, not a zip zero without love. Now, I want you to write this down. Some of you guys know this by heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses 1 through 3. First Corinthians 13, we covered this in our series, right? Undivided. And by the way, 1 Corinthians, it's a corrective letter. Because they were messing up big time. It's a corrective letter. And there in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Paul writes this, trying to set them straight. Okay, bringing them back to love. Okay, because they were focusing on their gifts and their abilities and their factions. Uh-uh, he says he brings them back. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what Paul's simply saying, so what if I speak in every conceivable language and dialect and have the greatest prayer language, the best speech of heaven and earth? It really, Paul says, it really doesn't matter. Why? Because without love, say without love. It's a bunch of hollow, empty, meaningless noise. Communication without love 
is a useless thing. And then he says this in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. In other words, so what? So what if I can prophesy? So what if I understand all the secret truths and, and mysteries uh, and possess all knowledge and have sufficient faith to make mountains move? It really doesn't matter. Why? Because without love, I am nothing, Paul says. I'm, listen, I am a useless nobody. And then in verse 3, he says this, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to, to, listen now, to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul's saying, so what if I give all that I own to the poor and surrender my body to the flames as a martyr? It really doesn't matter. Why? Because without love, I gain nothing. You see, without love, I will find that my life is just noise, nothing, and profits nothing. It's worthless. And the bottom line is this. I'm bankrupt without love. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I do. Without love, I'm bankrupt. I'm broke. You guys got that? So we got to understand the importance of love. And without it, nothing. Now I want to say this before we move on to the next verse. We can only, Christians, listen now if you're safe, say amen. We can only love others, okay, love others. We can only live out the agape, agapeo love only by the power, say power, of the Holy Spirit who gives us super, a supernatural love. You can't do it. By yourself. You need to be under the power, control, influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Verse 12. Verse 12 of our text. And here what John does, John gives one example of one who did not love his brother. And John goes back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. He kind of just sums it up here in verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the who? Evil one, the devil, and murdered his brother. The evil one, say the evil one, produces evil deeds. All murder, say all murder, is a product of the evil one. Got it? And Cain here becomes a picture of the person who was a child of the devil, and he demonstrated his wickedness by hating and killing his what? Brother. And then he says this, John says, and why did he murder him? Here's the motive. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain's evil deeds was his false worship. Say false worship. And this is why his sacrifice was rejected by God and Abel's was accepted by God. Now I want you to get this. If you don't get anything, get this. God never, never, say never, separates the worship from the worshiper. I'm going to say it again. God never separates the worship from the worshiper. Follow me. When someone comes to God with a sacrifice, God doesn't look at the sacrifice first. He looks first at the heart. Say the heart. 
And if a person's heart slash life is not consistent with a lifestyle of righteousness and love, God says, I don't accept that. Follow me. Cain looks like a real worshiper. He does. He came to God with a sacrifice, right? But his heart, say his heart, his heart was different from his brother's heart. His heart was filled with jealousy, envy that turned into hatred, which resulted in him murdering his brother. Cain, say Cain, proved to be one of the, the premier examples in the Bible of a failure to love his own brother. So you ready for the lesson? Set a guard over my heart. I'm going to say that. Set a guard over my heart. And the reason why I put that there is because as believers, we need to be very, very, very careful and not become jealous or envious of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Example, why is she up there? Why, why, why does he do announcements? Why, why are they in leadership? How come pastor's talking to them today? And we can get envious and jealous of other believers. And we got to be very, very careful with that. You guys with me? And it was jealousy and envy that corrupted the very heart of Cain. Let's move on to verse 13. Do not be surprised. I would say shocked. My brothers, sisters, if the world hates you. So in context, say context. Get this. In context, what John is saying don't be shocked or surprised if the world hates you, just like Cain hated his brother. Got it? Now, if you're saved, say amen. We should never have the expectation that the world is going to love us. You guys with me? Listen, the more we love Jesus, the more that you and I follow Jesus and live for Jesus and bear witness to Jesus and stand up for the truth of God's word, the more it's going to provoke the world to hate us. Now I want you to write this down, John, the Gospel of John 15, John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. And we, we already shared this passage through this series already, but I want to share it again. And Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you be, listen to what he says. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Get that? As it is, Jesus says, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. Talk about the world system that's against God. That is why the world, world system hates you. You guys got it? So we shouldn't be surprised or shocked, right, that the world hates us. In fact, friends, we should be surprised if the world doesn't hate us. And if that's the case, that should cause you and I, us, to examine our lives to see if we're truly saved. You guys with me? So if the, when the world hates you, right, if it hates you, praise God. Because that's a sign that you're standing up for the truth. You're living for Jesus. Okay, now if the world doesn't hate you, uh-oh. Yeah? Say uh-oh. Okay. 
Verse 14a, 14a. We know, say no. Is that what we're going to say no? That we have passed from death to life because what? We love our brothers. We love our sisters in Christ, right? Loving our brothers and loving our sisters in Christ shows that, we, that we're what? Truly saved. Why? Because compassion confirms salvation. Our compassion and love for others confirms our salvation. A tree is known by its what? Come on, say it. It's what? It's fruit, right? So those who are in Christ, those who are saved, will inevitably possess love for those in the body of Christ. Look at the text again. We know that we have passed from death to life. Say passed. Passed. That means to go from one location to another. In original language, from one location to another. You and I were dead to God. You and I were dead to life. You and I were dead to forgiveness. You and I were dead to love. But we became spiritually alive, right? Say amen, say amen. When we passed from death to life, when we got saved. And all that dead stuff is behind us. (laughs) Come on, church, are you guys with me? All that dead stuff is behind us because now we're alive to God. Now we're alive to really live, alive to forgive those who have hurt us, alive to love others the way that Jesus Christ has loved us. Loving others, say loving others. Agapeo, agape love, we're talking about that, testifies that we have passed from death to life, and that's how we're assured that we're saved. Because John's constantly reminding us about You need to know you're saved. Assurance. You guys with me? Verse 14b. Anyone who does not love remains, in other words, dwells, abides, lives in death. In other words, that's their domain. This person, they're living in a spiritual state of death. They never had a spiritual resurrection. So just as love this is now just as love shown for others is a good indicator of salvation, the absence of love, right, stands as a good indicator of the lack of salvation. You guys with me? It means you're still spiritually dead, never been brought, never been brought from death unto life in Christ. Now look at verse 15 with me. Anyone who hates his brother or sister, the King James says, hateth. Say, hate it. It's a present participle, which means continuing hating. It's an ongoing way of life, lifestyle, an ongoing attitude of the heart. And it would sound like this anyone who is continually hating his brother or sister. And he says, This is a what? Murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him or her. You guys get that? Now, these are strong words. I get that. These are strong words, but it's truth. Say it's truth. Those who genuinely hate are viewed as murderers in God's eyes. That's what he says. To possess real hatred for another, what he's saying is equivalent to killing them. There's absolutely no difference in God's holy standard. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 5. I'm not going to read it to you. Verses 21 through 22. We're talking about that continual lifestyle of hate. You guys with me? 
You see, love. Say love. Come on. Agape, agape love. This love is the only security that you and I have against hate. Every hater, every hater is potentially a murderer who do not have eternal life abiding in them. They have never been born again because love, agapeo, agape love, and hate, in other words, this hate, a way of life, lifestyle, and add to the heart, cannot inhabit the same heart. Can't. Now, word to some of you here this morning. You're saved. Praise God. Say, praise God. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. But you're hurt. And you're hurt, and you're angry, and you're holding a grudge against the person or persons who have wronged you. And you've allowed that hatred to fester in your heart. And I want to tell you, if that's you, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Now I want you to write this down. Galatians 4, 31 through 32. And listen to what Paul says. Galatians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness, see all, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, there's that word tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And I get it. I know it's hard at times to forgive those who've wronged us. I, I get it. I'm with you on that. But man, I'll tell you, life, there is no life, really, if, if you let that fester the anger and hurt in your heart. And people can see it. Are you with me? Because listen, what, what happens is you have that anger and bitterness in your heart and resentment, and there's no joy. And you need to let go of that and forgive them as Christ has forgiven you and I. And let that joy be restored back into our hearts. Amen? Say the exhortation to love. The second sub-point, not the second point, second sub-point, point number one, is the extent of our love. Say the extent. Write that down, the extent of our love. Now I want you to look at verse 16a with me. I'll let you write that down right now, the extent of our love. We saw the exhortation to love. You are to love, right? If you're saved, you are to love as Jesus loves us. Now the extent of our love, verse 16a, verse 16a. This is how we know. There's that word you say no. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his what? His life for us. That's 100% love. You guys got it? Jesus intentionally, voluntarily, willingly, obediently, sacrificially gave his life for us. Listen, everything, say everything. We will ever need to know about what love looks like and what love does is found in the very life of Jesus Christ himself. And because we know and experience his love, we are to love others the same way. Well, what does that look like? Well, John shows us as he moves from theology to practicality. You guys with me? Look at verse 16b. And we, speak, you say we. Come on, say we. Okay, all believers, speaking of all believers, and we, all believers, ought. Not a question, not an option, not, not a suggestion. 
It's mandatory. Say mandatory. And we believers ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now I want to point something out. In the Greek, the word ought, say ought, is ophelo. Say ophelo. Ophelo. It means to owe or to owe money. You guys with me? Be in debt for that which is due. Follow me. Okay? With that being said, we as believers owe it to each other to love each other like Jesus loves us. I owe it to you. You owe it to me. If we're saved, right? Oh, Phalo. Got it? Next time, you, well, today, when you walk out, say, oh, Phalo, bro. You know, oh, Phalo, sis, right? We owe it to each other, right? To love as Jesus loved us. Now, the likelihood, now, once you get this, you say, you see, I got to die on the cross. The likelihood of us dying on behalf of others is not likely. It could happen. I don't know. Okay, maybe not on the cross or something else, but the chances of that are slim. Now, I want you to follow me here. To lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters means that our lives should be a continual giving out on behalf of others. It's a self-sacrificing love that was modeled by Jesus Christ. And I want to I say this. You see, the philosophy of the world is what? It's self-preservation. Right? But for Christians, if you're saved, say amen. It's self-sacrifice. Not self-preservation. It's self-sacrifice. And this involves, listen now, Christians, this involves sharing our material things with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need, legitimate need. If we have the means, say the means, to feed and clothe and help them, but don't, we don't do it. Listen to what John says, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother slash sister in need, but has no pity on him or her, how can the love of God be in him? Did you get that? In other words, how can our hearts be right with God when we see others suffering in need and in need, suffering and end in need, and refuse to lend a helping hand? How? Okay, well, here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Glance at ourselves and gaze upon Jesus. I'll show you where I'm going with this right now, okay? Glance at ourselves. Just glance at ourselves, but gaze upon Jesus. Listen, we, we, will, we will become that which we gaze upon. You with me? When you and I are gazing, listen now, when we're gazing upon Jesus, we're living our lives with a sacrificial love that was modeled by Jesus. We're laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We become others-focused, not self-absorbed. You guys got that? And I want to tell you, Christians, look around. This is your family. I know we have a second, we have an, uh, another service after this. But if you know a brother or sister who is in need, I mean legitimate need, and you have the means to meet that need, and you know they need that need, and you have the means to meet that need, and you don't meet that need, huh? How can the love of God be in us? It's a checkpoint for our hearts, right? Now, again, it's got to be a legitimate need, okay? But the fact is, is that there's people in our church that are in need. Just look around. Got it? 
Maybe you might be the one who's in need. But we are to have this sacrificial lifestyle with others as Christ did with us. Amen? Glance at ourselves, but gaze upon Jesus. Verse 18, dear children, there's that term of endearment, let us not love, speaking of Christians, let us not love with words or tongue. He goes, now he goes more, moves forward with this, but with what? Actions and in truth. Because real love can be seen. Say that. Real love can be seen. It's more than affectionate terms. Real agape, agapeo love should be manifested in actual deeds and also in truth. Say in truth. In other words, the work of love must also be performed in truth, in other words, with pure motives. Got it? In other words, I'm not doing, I'm not showing you love in action because I want to be loved back or because I want something from you or something else. No, I'm going to show love to you because what I love you, period. Amen? It's not based on what I can get back. I'm just going to give. Amen? Lesson, ready? Here we go. Here's the lesson. Actions, and we know this, speak louder than words. And I know we hear this all the time. Actions speak louder than words, okay? Because, you know, let me tell you something. It's really easy, really easy to talk, okay, about love. Real easy. But it's quite different to move our love into action. True believers, say true believers, prove their love by what they practice, not just by what they preach. I tell you, there's a lot of Christians out there, man, God, they can preach and preach and preach and preach, but there is no practice in their life. You guys with me? Authentic agape agapeo love can be seen. You see, our love must not be limited to conversation. Rather, it should compel us to act on it. Point number two, here we go. Point number two is confidence. Number one was compassion, right? Point number two is confidence. Say confidence. Because this is what John is driving at through this whole pistol. I want to make sure you guys make sure that you're saved. Right? Verse 19. This then is how we know. Say how we know. That we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Confidence. Assurance is this is now the blessing that comes to the believer who is practicing Christian love. It flows freely from the believer who's in fellowship with Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, when our hearts are right with Jesus, we will act in love. Because love, say love, come on, bears witness to our relationship with Jesus. We set, listen, he says, we set our hearts at rest in his presence. His presence. Love bears witness of our relationship with Jesus, that people can see his presence in us. Verse 20, when our hearts condemn us. Now, now I want to stop there because this is speaking about those moments when we begin to question our salvation. You guys with me? And doubt our salvation. It's during these moments that our heart condemns us. And the devil's real good at that. Oh, you're not, look at you, look at you, you're not saved. Really, you think you're saved? You're not saved. Well, we find comfort and peace in the second part of this verse. So let's read, let's read all together. We'll look at the second part. Whenever our hearts condemn us, doubt our salvation, or question our salvation, for God is greater than our hearts. And we, listen, and he knows what? 
everything. God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than our feelings. He's greater than our, our doubts. When, when we're wrestling with doubt about our salvation, feeling condemned, God knows us. And God knows our heart. And he knows that we're often too hard on ourselves. Aren't we at times? And he knows where our heart is with him. And he knows, he knows that we're of the truth, that we belong to him. Listen, listen, I want you to get this. What God says in his word prevails over the word of our hearts that condemn us. You guys got that? Now, knowing that God knows our hearts, don't you love that? Knowing that, look at me, it's comforting, but it's also convicting. Right? It's convicting because if he knows my heart, he knows how I'm living. It's comforting to know that he will forgive me and restore the fellowship back to himself. Amen? Whatever you doubt in the dark, remember what Jesus Christ has said in the light. Okay? All right? Because I know that we doubt our salvation. And uh, remember, God knows your heart. Amen? Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have what? Confidence before God. So the opposite of feeling of, con the opposite feeling of condemnation is what? Confidence. Confidence. In fact, it brings me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, right? Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God, God's throne of grace, with what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So they say confidence. Verse 22, verse 22. And receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands, and do what, what pleases him. So John, what he does, John reveals great confidence that believers have when making petitions to God. Now, I want you to get this and please understand this. John's not implying that we can ask for anything whatsoever and God will grant it. God's not a genie. But that we come with complete assurance that he, God, will hear and answer our prayers that are prayed in accordance with his Will. And John will talk about that in the last chapter of this epistle. And that these prayers will be received of God because they are prayed from hearts that desire to keep his commandments. Hearts that desire to live in a way that please him. Got it? Verses 23 to 24, almost done here. Verses 23 to 24. We, we, we could, this could be a message in itself. And here what John does, and I love it. John, what he does in, in these few last verses, he sums up what he's, all, what he's been saying in this whole book, this whole book, to this point. This is, in other words, this is an authentic Christian. This is it. You guys ready? Say, this is it. Here we go. Here we go. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he, what? commanded us, those who obey his commands lives slash abides in him and he in them. And this is how we 
how we, one more time, how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the what? Spirit he gave us. So obeying his word in context, loving others, in context, being marked by love, in context, being obedient, gives proof that we abide in him and he in us. And as we abide in him, listen now, he assures us, say assures, he assures us of his abiding presence, and we know this, how? By the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So I'm, I'm going to end here. That, that being said, we can live, you're safe, say amen. We can live with confidence, and we can live with the assurance, right? Why assurance? Because we were planned by the Father, we were purchased by the Son, and we're preserved by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So love others and live with confidence that you and I belong to Jesus. Let's all stand. Amen?